I wanted to uh, say that over the last few, can you turn my mic down just a little bit? It seems a little bit loud. Um, over the last couple of, uh, uh, the last few weeks, the Lord really spoke to us. For those of you who aren't here, um, you can catch it right now. The Lord really spoke to us about uh, the way that we experience his divine encounters throughout our daily lives is by taking risks, praying for people that are sick, sharing your faith with people, whatever it might be. Um, by taking these risks, that's where God shows up. And we see this all through the Gospels where there was only a couple of miracles done in church. The rest of them were done in the streets. In the book of Acts, only a couple of miracles done in the temple. The rest were done in the marketplace. And so we need to take risks to see God show up. And I've given you some stories of what God's done through me recently, but the stories I like even better are the, are the ones he's doing through you. And so some of the testimonies I'm sharing with you every Sunday now that are coming in from you are not necessarily um, like um, crazy testimonies of like people falling out under the power of God at Supercuts, um, which was, for those of you who don't know, is what the Lord did with me a few weeks ago. Um, but they are testimonies of people that are the average Janes and Joes in the body of Christ stepping out, taking risks, and that is the testimony. Because if we get out of our comfort zones, then we give, we're giving room for Jesus to move among us. So, uh, I got a couple today. One, uh, Hal and Ella Marie Schatz, they work at the San Pasquale Academy, which is a county-run foster care uh, home. Have you ever gone down the 78 down by the Wild Animal Park? You're going down that back way? Well, no, because you're not from Ramona. But those of us from Ramona, you go down the back way, there's a, an academy right down at the bottom of the mountain right before you get to the animal park, and that is, uh, that is a foster home. And Hal and Ella Marie uh, work there. They're, they're volunteer grandparents, and they work, obviously, with this next generation. And these are kids that have been abandoned and, and uh, you know, cast aside. And so they have a tremendous opportunity. But here's the thing. During the orientation, what uh, they were told was um, that... Uh, it says that they were to sit at the table and they, that the students were going to come in and meet these guys for the first time. And she said that you are not allowed to uh, share your faith and you're not allowed and you're supposed to tell them what are the things you like to do and what is your favorite book. But it can't be the Bible. This was the instruction. And so how did they get around that? So Ella Marie, after talking about giving piano lessons and instrumental lessons, she said several students, by the way, have approached us during the last year or so. Now she's just telling what the other students have done. They've approached us <clears throat> during the last year or so about going to church on Sunday morning. We now have three students that we occasionally take to church with us on Sunday mornings. If any of you have ever been interested in going to church sometime, give us a call. She did not talk about the Bible. Regarding her favorite book, she says uh, most of the books she's in the process, she says, my favorite book is The Shack by William Paul Young. It's a fiction novel that answers the question why bad things happen to good people and where God is and all of that. And she says, uh, the three things the book talked to us about, she's telling the kids this, is God sees us, God loves us, and God wants a relationship with us. She says, I could tell that the director, Michelle, was a wee bit uncomfortable with me, but I was fulfilling her assignment honestly. So that was a great risk that you've taken and now you've had a number of these foster kids who have been in our services you had two on that day 
Amen. That's awesome. And then here comes Hal. So Hal says, he doesn't read books. But he talked about a recent book he was recently reading. But he says, my wife makes brownies for your birthday, and I'll deliver them. I enjoy all types of sports, so I like going to football and basketball and volleyball and softball games. I've just begun to read the interesting book titled The Richest Man Who Ever Lived by Stephen K. Scott. The book is about King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Not talking about the Bible. He's talking about King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs that happens to be in the Bible. It contains secrets to success, wealth, and happiness, all based on the principles in the book of Proverbs. I thought I could use a little more cash, is what he told the kids. The result of his comment about going to church, a new student, and then the girl we brought to church today, were both very excited about going to church. In front of the group of the kids, uh, they acknowledge that they go to church with Hal and Ella Marie. So, way to step out, Hal and Ella Marie, and take those risks. Another one I heard this, this uh, week was um, Chris Sheridan, who has a podcast uh, at work. Um, he also has a blog, and there are two atheists that read his blogs, and they both recently said to Chris, I can't believe you've turned me. Is that accurate, Chris? Isn't <laughs> that awesome? So here's Chris taking a risk about putting Jesus out there. And, and Chris comes from, at it from a very intellectual uh, standpoint. And, he's, he, he, and this is very critical to what we're going to be talking about today as well. And um, I'll just get, I'm just going to throw this stat, statistic out to you right now. 70% of Christian high school students that go to public university turn from the faith. So that's clearly devastating for the kingdom of God for the next generation. Only 6% of public professors, public university professors, believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. 25% profess atheism or agnosticism when only 5% of our culture does. And so, if, and here's the thing. If we are not teaching our kids why they believe what they believe when they go to universities, then they are getting a, a, a wave of anti-Bible information. And it overwhelms them, and it undermines the authority and authenticity of the Word of God, and it destroys their faith. But what I believe is if we are raising Daniels, and Daniela's, I, I like to call them. My wife is a professor at San Diego State University. She teaches on human sexuality. Talk about a hot topic. But how cool is it that you have a pastor's wife who is right in the belly of the beast, and she is training this next generation from a biblical perspective without calling it a biblical perspective. But she's right up in there. I call her my Daniela. Because as Daniel was taken captive by Babylon as a young, uh, late, late teen, early 20 max uh, um, prince from Jerusalem when, Babylon, when the Babylonian Empire took over Jerusalem and they took slaves, they took the royalty, they took the best of the cream of the crop, and they had to, they had to be trained in all the ways of Babylon, all their language, all their witchcraft and sorceries, uh, their philosophies, their worldviews, all their gods, their music, their literature. They had to be trained in all of it. And Daniel 
was trained in all of the ways of Babylon better than all of the rest of the slaves and all the other Babylonian leadership. That was not not that I'm against homeschooling because we homeschooled and we private schooled and we public schooled. But that's not homeschooling. That is being trained in Babylon's literature. And yet, and he excelled above them all. And so he got a position right next to the king and he influenced five kings throughout world history. And the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. And And many of those kings turned because of Daniel. He knew what he believed, why he believed it, and he was right up in that system and did not compromise. And because he was such a shining light for God, kings turned to God. So that was all about you, Chris. (laughs) I commend you, brother, for using your intellect and your your articulate, not debates, because we're not trying to win arguments, we're trying to win souls. Your, your articulate presentation of the gospel of God to a lost and dying world. And you do it so kindly and with such the right spirit and so humbly, but very sharp and intellect and with great information that two atheists have said, I can't believe you turned me. That is so awesome, man. That is so awesome. I love it. So we're getting into the Romans chapter 12 today. We're going through the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. I also want to commend the Christian professors. We have two of them that I know of right now in this congregation. I want to commend you for being the salt and light of the world and the public universities and being models for these young students of what it means to love God and be in the halls of academia at the same time. They, they were found, most of them were founded by preachers. Men of the, the Ivy League schools in particular were founded by preachers, by theologians to raise up the next generation and, and love God through our intellect and through education and through literature. The sciences worshiped God throughout the centuries. Science is supposed to study the universe so that we can see more of God. They reflect His glory. And science should cause us to worship God more, not depart from God. So I commend the teachers and the professors and the administrators. Uh, we had an administrator in our church, worked in the uh, UCSD um, master's program for years. And she was right there. And she, used to be able, she was able to touch so many college students in the master's program because of her faith in Christ. I commend you for your example and your leadership. I do not believe we should vacate the seven mountains of society, which are education and family and media and entertainment and commerce. We are not to vacate the seven mountains of influence. We are supposed to invade them and be the salt and light of the world, preserving them and representing Jesus to every sector of society. That is your destiny. That is your calling. When people come to me and they say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or if I'm a musician or, or a, a stay-at-home mom and just prepare them. I said, I, really, I don't think God cares much. I, I think you're gifted and you have passions and you've got to find out what your skill set is. What God cares about is wherever you are and whatever you're doing, that you are the salt and the light to that environment. That is your destiny. That is your calling. Amen. Thanks for coming today because all that right there was worth. But this is Romans chapter. I am preaching out of Romans chapter 12, by the way, whether you realize or not. And I'm calling this transformation because that is our message, right? 
that the gospel, the power of God, transforms a life. Has he transformed your life? I'm going to ask you that again. Has he transformed your life? That's the greatest testimony you have. He has so radically transformed me that my friends from high school, some of them still can't believe it. And many times I can't either. What he's done, how he's changed me over the last 30 plus years has been amazing. The transformed life is the greatest testimony you have. My father uh, was a leader in the Catholic Church. He was a lay leader. He wasn't a priest. He was a lay leader. And when my, when my oldest brother, his firstborn... <laughs> Sorry, didn't expect that. When his firstborn son at 21 died of a car accident, my dad climbed in his coffin after everybody left the funeral home and asked God to, to exchange their bodies, take my life from my sons. When that didn't happen, my dad really thought that God would do it. He decided God didn't have the power to do it after it didn't happen. Then he started reading a bunch of books that were anti-God and anti-Bible, and he allowed his mind to be filled with all sorts of um, ungodly literature and philosophies and and ideas of man and he became a professed atheist my oldest sister was a flaming radical hard-hearted feminist and i mean she was tougher than nails and she was angry and she was just a fighter she came to christ and god softened her heart she became pliable and humble and uh, one of the most amazing Christians you would ever meet. Such a God worshiper to this day. And my dad said this, true story. I can no longer with integrity call myself an atheist because of how your sister has changed. She, he said only a God could do that. How powerful is that? Do not underestimate the power of the work of Christ in your life. People are watching you whether you realize it or not. They want to know if it's real. They want to know if it's true. That's why you can't compromise. You cannot be a coward. You cannot back away and be intimidated by this antichrist culture we live in now. Be kind. Be humble. Be gentle as serpents. Be gentle as serpents? No. Help me preach today. Come on, church. Be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Amen. So today I want us to look at the why and the how we live a transformed life. Romans chapter 1 all the way up to Romans chapter 12 was all about God setting us up for a transformed life. And chapter 12 is what that transformed life looks like. So I want to look at the why and the how we live a transformed life. So let's go to Romans chapter 1. And starting in verse 1, it says this. Here we go. Ready? Romans chapter 1, verse 1. You with me? Well, not you. I'm talking to the media team back here. All right. I'm going to read it, and they're going to get it up. I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you, brothers and sisters... 
by the mercies of God. Everybody say, by the mercies of God. The question is, why do we live a transformed life? Because of the mercy He has shown to us. That is why our t-shirts around here at the gathering place, on the back, it simply says, loving God back. That is who we are. That is what we do. That is our motivation. Chris, there's a couple. There's a question and answer you should have up here. Why do we live a transformed life? Because of the mercies of God. We simply love God back. It is His mercy. That's our whole motivation for everything we do. He did not owe us an ounce of mercy. And yet He has poured His mercy out on our lives. I was having lunch with Ann Quinn this week. And uh, Ann has gone through cancer and... uh, the radiation in her eyes uh, fried her tear ducts, and so she doesn't. She's not able to produce tears anymore. But we're sitting there having lunch together. I think we went to El Pollo Loco or something. Is that where we were? And we're sitting there, and she said, "You know, it's so hard for me to ask for help. I've had a hard time my whole life asking people to help me." She goes, "But when I was in chemo, she goes, I didn't have a choice." She said, it just overwhelms me that somebody would actually go to the grocery store for me and buy groceries, you know, it was just so humbling. And then she's, her eyes get red and like tears would have just been pouring out of her eyes if, she, if they, they could produce. And she said, I have a hard time believing why somebody would just go to the grocery store for me, but I just cannot believe that he went to the cross for me. That right there is the, that right there is the, epicenter of christianity that gratefulness that thankfulness and here's somebody who has been battling and suffering with cancer and rather than feeling entitled rather than shaking her fist at god she's still humbled and overwhelmed that he shows her any mercy at all and through all of her cancer treatments and all that she's gone through she crawls in here i mean sits right there in that seat and just worships god with the rest of us She's got the heart of a worshiper because she knows by the mercies of God, she is here. You see, the truth is Christianity is not how much you and I achieve, but rather how much you and I receive. And the more you receive, the more you succeed. That's why I have both of my receivers wide open. I mean, I, I pray huge, crazy prayers. And many of them have come to pass, like the kind of prayers that there's no way that could have happened if God didn't do it. And I've told many of them, I won't bore you with them this morning, but you have your own and you need more of them. Some of you don't have any because you're praying these puny, tiny, stinky prayers. God who slung the universes into existence with one word is your God. And he calls you his father and you're his son and daughter. And the Bible says this, one of my favorite verses in the book of Romans. If God did not spare his own son, will he not freely give you all things? Why are we praying such puny prayers? And I know some of you believe if you get a miracle or two, you shouldn't ask for anymore. As though God only has a certain amount. Well, I'm going to steal the rest of yours. If you're not going to go for them, I'm going for them. I will we got to pray big, massive prayers because the world is hurting and they need help and they need hope. And that's where we 
come in. So why do we live transformed lives? Because of the mercy of God. Now, how do we live transformed lives? Let's keep reading verse 1 and 2. I'm going to start back with one. We're going to go one and two. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. By the renewing, not the removal of, the renewing of your mind. God gave you your mind, used Every ounce of it, every bit of it, expand that brain. We are to be the we are to be the most intellectual, wisest people on the planet. We have access to the mind of Christ. He knows everything. Nothing boggles his mind. Nothing. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So, why do we live transformed lives? Because of God's mercy. How do we live it? With our whole being, spirit, soul, and body. Now, this says to present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, this was written back in the first century, and there is no Greek citizen that would ever conceive of presenting their body as a sacrifice to God, living sacrifice. We don't need dead sacrifices anymore like they used to slaughter in the Jewish religion, slaughter bulls and cows and goats and all that because the Lamb of God, Jesus, was slaughtered for us on the cross. So now our sacrifices, we don't do these sacrifices to try to appease our God like most every other religion on the planet. We're not trying to appease our God. All of our sacrifices, all of our time, all of our talents, all of our treasures, we come in here and worship. All that we do is a thank you. We already have the favor of God. Christianity is a thank you religion. But the religions I've seen, when I've gone to India and Africa and these other places, they're always doing sacrifices on the doorstep. They're, they have fruit down at the end of the driveway every morning. They walk into the house. I was just in India in June. They, before they walk into the house, they, they touch the top, they touch the bottom, they have a piece of fruit, they kiss it, and they put it down, and they step in it like this, and then, and then they walk into their house. All these rituals trying to appease their house gods and their mean gods. They, the, the reason they're doing it is because they're afraid of them. I was in India one time, and this whole village, all these teenagers came to Christ. And this one teenager over here, and I said, don't you want to receive Jesus? She said, no, because my house gods will beat me up like they did last night. She had bruises all over her body. Now, we in the, in the scientific Western world don't believe that's true. We think it's silly. They don't. They know it's true. They know the spirit realm's real. They're very, that's why we have so many problems over here, so many uh, problems that don't get answered, a lot of mental depression, a lot of physical ailments a lot of i mean one time this boy the the disciples couldn't heal him and the the dad said i brought my boy to you he has epilepsy your disciples couldn't heal him and jesus said bring him here to me and it says when he cast out the demon it was a spirit it says when he cast out the spirit of infirmity but you see we don't believe that 
in the Western world. We don't believe in spirits of infirmity. So you, you pump drugs in there and you do all the operations that we can and all that. Sometimes it's not a spirit and we can, with, through medical science and through medication, we can, we can take care of business. But if it's a spirit, they do not respond to operations and medication. But they do respond to the name of Jesus. And I said, listen, my God is bigger than your God. And she said, I can't risk it. And she, did, she'd not, she wouldn't receive Jesus. So these, these, uh, these Greeks in the early, the first century, would not ever think of presenting their body to God as a living sacrifice because they consider the body to be evil. It was Gnosticism. They, they believed that Freedom was the escape from the body. That's why when Paul started talking about the resurrection from the dead and you're going to get a new body, they started rejecting Christianity because they're thinking we get free when we escape this body. And Paul said, no, you're going to get a brand new body, but it's going to be bad to the bone. You're not going to be disappointed. I promise you. You're not going to need no liposuction. You're not going to need to go to the gym. You're not going to need to put on any makeup, no hairspray, none of that. No gel. I don't know if you use hairspray anymore, but you're not going to need any of that. It's going to be awesome. But they were rejecting Christianity based on that. But Paul says, this thing you have right here is a vehicle. And it is holy. What does holy mean? It means that something that holy is like, it's like my lime chips at home. You see, when you have six kids and, and, and a mother-in-law and pets that people feed, human food, you can't buy a bag of chips with a hint of lime. Anybody eat those? Are those good? <laughs> Woo! Man, you just can't. you got to eat the whole bag. Well, my wife will buy them, put them in the pantry, and, you know, the kids go off to school, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to study, and I go in there, and I'm looking for my chips with a hint of lime. They're gone. Or there's, like, all the crumbs left at the bottom, and the bag is not closed. It has the clip that you tell your kids, please, Clip the bag so they stay fresh. So what do they do? I posted this on Facebook. I took a picture. They put the clip, like, clipped onto the, just the side of the bag like this. And the bag's open, and it's in the pantry. It's like, ah, I can't wait till they all move out. And I can have my fresh chips with a hint of lime. So what do I do? My wife buys me a bag, and then I hide them in my closet. But I have to keep changing my hiding place because they find them. But... When my, wife, when my wife buys me a bag of uh, chips with a hint of lime, they are holy. They are set apart to dad. And I put them in a special place, and they serve me. That is the definition of holiness. You are all that and a bag of chips. That was spontaneous. I did not have that. But you are God's bag of chips. And this is the problem. When we think we're all that in a bag of chips, and we go hopping around thinking we're all that, right? You're just a bag of chips. And you belong to God, and you're holy. And your whole life, now that you have been, now you've experienced the mercy of God, now you present yourself to God as a bag of chips with a hint of lime. 
and you say, what would you, what do you want from my life from now to the day I see you face to face? Woo! Every other day you don't do that is a wasted day. You get no rewards for it and you didn't influence anybody toward Christ, which means it was a wasted day. I think somebody's preaching this morning in here. Our new youth pastors. Almost. Well, yeah. Next Sunday. The Bible says here in verse 2, I will... will uh, put you at ease. There's no way we're getting through the entire chapter 12 because we're still on, on verse 2. So don't get scared. I have notes for the entire chapter, but I will not do that to you. Just in case. It says that this attitude, this, what everything I just preached to you is our reasonable service. It is our, that word reasonable means logical, practical. It makes sense that we would do this after what God has done for us, that we would live our lives for Him. But after you submit yourself, your life, your bag of chips to God, the next thing He goes after is our mind. The very next thing. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reality is, your life, everything you are experiencing right now, started with a thought. Everything starts with a thought. That's why people, the whole world, is trying to give you their thoughts, So, because your thoughts then turn into your belief system. You hear a new thought? And you hear it and say, oh, I believe that. Your belief then turns into an action. And then your action over time becomes your character and your character becomes your destiny. A negative example of this, but a powerful example, is what Hitler did. He was a low-level soldier in the German army. And he was frustrated. And he wanted change. But he had no power. And so he, grabbing on to Marxism, he decided that he was going to come up with a rallying point for the German people, and he chose the economy because money is what speaks, and he decided to start blaming the Jews, who were only 2% of the German population at the time, and he rallied, he started selling this, these thoughts, this thought that nobody had thought before, and yet he started convincing people that the Jews were the problem with the economy, and, and he would fly, once he started gaining power and got political power, I'm expediting, he literally would fly over Germany and drop pamphlets of propaganda and people, all these pamphlets falling from the sky, and they would read them, and he persuaded the German population through information and got them to believe something he wanted them to believe. And then their actions followed and the character of that nation was changed and it ruled and changed their destiny forever. Now it's not pamphlets. Now it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the digital universe. That's why you and I have got to be so 
careful on what we listen to, what we watch, what we let into the eye gate and the ear gates of our minds. Critical. Don't think, don't think for a second that you cannot be influenced. The truth is, you and I are all being shaped by something. We're designed that way by God. Our brains are made that way. We are shapeable. The question is, who is shaping you? Do you know that science has now proven that when you and I learn new things, our brains change. New neuropathways are formed in our brains, the synapses and the blood cells and the, uh, the, the synapses fire and they create these new pa- pathways within your brain. That's what he's talking about here. I think God knows science. I think he knows how he made our brains. He's saying be renewed by putting new thoughts into your mind to create new neural pathways so that you see and believe the way I see and believe as your Father in heaven. And so if you are not in the Word of God, forget about it. Because this right here is the mind of Christ. The way He sees every social issue. The way He sees God. The way He sees you. The way He sees the devil. The way He sees your destiny. It's all right in this book. But if all we do is allow our eyes and our ears and our floodgates to be influenced by modern culture, pop culture... We are doomed. That's why 70% of students that go to public universities leave the faith. Because they come to church. They think dying, dying and going to heaven means they just die and go to church. They, they, they have not been trained about their assignment. As young men and women, lions and lionesses, soldiers of Christ, prince and princesses of God in the earth, representing Jesus Christ to everybody they know. Not preaching at them, but representing Christ, whether in act or in speech or in deed, demeanor, attitude. But there's no way we can do that if we don't know the mind of our Father. And that's why I say be renewed by the, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word transformed is metamorpho, which means a transformation to be kingdom-minded. See how much time I have left. Not much. I want to challenge you, family of God. This isn't about religion. It's not about obligation. It's not about, I didn't read the Bible, so I feel guilty. It's not what this is about. This is about your survival and your equipping to be successful citizens of heaven while you live on the earth. I want to ask you, I want to challenge you. Read the Bible every day. It's your food. It's like when my cat, when Sam doesn't get up. Sorry, Sam, I'm going to throw you under the bus right now. When my 14-year-old Sam doesn't get up to feed the cats, well, in the summertime because he would sleep till noon. And so Charlie, the cat, man, about 6 a.m., You know, so I drop kick it across the room because nobody's awake, so I can do that and get away with it. I, I don't do that for you cat lovers. Don't leave the church. I was just kidding. 
So I finally feed the cat. The cats have more sense than we do. We spiritually starve ourselves and wonder why we're not on fire for God. One time I said to the Lord, I'm just honest with him. I, I don't, I don't, I don't try to impress God. I just, I'm like, hey, it was your fault. You're the one that called me. So this is what you get. So I'm just real, I'm just real straight with God. And he likes that, by the way. He doesn't like pretense. He likes honesty. I say, God, I, I'm not fired up for you anymore. I'm not excited about you. You know, what should I do about this? And he said, read the Bible one hour a day for seven days straight. I'm like, did you not hear me? I don't, I'm not interested. That's like the worst assignment you could give me. I'd rather eat a bowl of rocks. He said, read the Bible one, one hour a day, seven days straight. And I did that. By the seventh day, I could not wait to see what happens next. I could not wait to read the Bible again. And what he said to me, you know, you heard the adage, he didn't say this, but you heard the adage that, you know, you ask him the fire to give you heat, but you won't put wood in the fireplace. Like, like an employee that wants a raise, and yet they haven't yet done the work that deserves the raise, right? The Lord told me that the, the, the word of God is the wood, and the, the Holy Spirit is the wind. You're not giving the Holy Spirit anything to breathe on, and revelation is the flame. That's what he said to me. Since that day, I have pump the word of god into me so the holy spirit has something to breathe on and it keeps me on fire for god i'm gonna i'm just gonna can you give me five more minutes so i can at least try to get past verse two And so after he talks about submitting your body, then submitting your mind, he then talks about the graces given to you, which, well, I'm just going to expedite really quick, that everybody has been given a gift, and you're not supposed to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but I also want to say this, verse 3, he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. I also want to say, say, do not think more lowly of yourself than you ought. You're no good to the body of Christ. You're no good to the people that know you, where you work, where you go to school. You're no good if you're walking around saying you know woe is me oh woe is me woe is me or it's all god it's just all god it's not me it's all god we take that phrase with john the baptist said i must decrease so that he must increase and we disqualify ourselves from running our own race that's false humility john the baptist all he was saying was my ministry is over i'm going to die now jesus comes and so we, we 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 have this we have this we have this low self-esteem to begin with because we all have shame from the fall and from our own personal sins and failures. And so we already live with the self, a low-grade self-hatred. And then we get into Christianity and it says you're supposed to hate yourself. When we, we take these kind of phrases, you know, if you don't hate yourself, you can't follow me. And so we get into the self-loathing thing. And that's not what he was saying. All he's saying is, you need to prioritize me over you. My will, not your will. But he's not saying intrinsically hate yourself. Because that means you're dishonoring God because you're dishonoring God's image. You and I have been made in his image. I'm going to tell you something. An animal activist, I'm sorry, but we are better than the animals. They were not made in God's image. We are. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And men, I'm going to tell you something. The women were the cherry on the top. Because he created the lady last. He waited to the very last. And he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Watch this. And Adam said, whoa, man. That's where we got woman from. Right? 
Right, Brian? Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That's why you changed churches, because of her. I know. All right. <laughs> yep. Where was I? I think I got off track there. Where was I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Verse 2. We think more lowly of ourselves than we ought, and we're no good to anybody. Like when somebody was, one time, somebody's singing up here and saying, you know, they sang so great. You know, they're, they're like, oh, oh, that was awesome. They said, oh, it was all God. And your answer is, well, no, if that was all God, it would have been a lot better. It's a partnership. And you and I are to use every ounce of our being to glorify Him. That's why I tell these musicians, you ask them, I tell them. One of the, when you come into the worship ministry of our church, what I say, we have people playing at the House of Blues. We have people playing in different bars around town. We have some of the greatest musicians. We have a person with the San Diego Symphony on our team. Okay, and what I say is, you don't, don't you dare play better in the House of Blues than you do the House of God. Don't be bringing that wimpy worship around here. You play with every ounce you've got. You sing, you preach, you serve, you teach. You, you do what you do with everything you've got. And then you say, I'm God's bag of chips. Don't take the credit. Give him the credit. But he doesn't shine when you don't shine. None of you are putting a bumper sticker on the back of your car. My child flunked out of so-and-so elementary school. Nobody's nobody's sporting that bumper sticker. Oh, no, it's my child smarter than your child. That's basically what we're saying with those other bumper stickers, right? My child is on the dean's list. My child did this. We boom, put it around. Who's that for? It's not for the child. Come on, parents. Who are the bumper stickers really about? They reflect our glory. They're saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. Yeah. You don't do that when they get F's or when they get you know, kicked off the team because they weren't trying hard. They get fired because they were showing up late and being lazy. We don't, that does not glorify us as parents because when you see a troubled kid, the first thing people do is they look at the parent. It's automatic. How were they raised? You know, it's unfortunate. And my defense is, hey, Adam and Eve rebelled. I'm going to give you a moment. Some of you are a little slow. Their parent... Adam and Eve's dad did pretty good, so I, that's what I'm saying. When you and I live chapter 12, which is the rest of it, which I can't preach, all of the, all of the do's and the don'ts, mainly do's, like it's all do's. A lot of people say Christianity is full of don'ts, and I just want to say there's more do's than don'ts. When you read chapter 12, it talks about all the do's. This is who you are. This is how we're to live. This is what a transformed life looks like. And it begins with your spiritual gifts. Every one of you have been given a gift. You read down through the gift of prophecy, the gift of giving, the gift of leading, the gift of, the gift of mercy, the gift of serving. And then it goes down to love without hypocrisy. Don't return. This is what we tell our kids. That's one of the things in there. Don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil that's one of the hardest things all of our movies are about many of our movies are about vengeance we love it my daughter-in-law i'm a 12 year old looking at movies to go to yesterday 
and like half of them were about somebody murdered somebody, somebody stole something from somebody, somebody did something bad to somebody, and so the rest of the movie is about that person avenging. The Avengers. We love it because we love justice. But here's the truth. We don't really love justice. We love vengeance because we only want justice for the other person. We don't want justice for ourselves. We want justice served on you because of what you did. We want vengeance. And God knows that about us. That's why he says, and this is for everybody here, because you and I have to learn how to deal successfully, godly, with injustice and being offended. The world right now is teaching young people how to be easily offended, which is the opposite of the gospel message. And it's going to ruin them, completely ruin them. Because being offended is a test of your Christianity. It's a test of your character. I have a black son that is handicapped. I have an Asian son who's um, very special. And they get teased and they get persecuted at times. And we will not allow them to live offended lives. We say, you are not a victim. We will not return evil for evil. Because if you do that, you lose yourself. You lose who you are. And you're better than that. And I'm going to tell you, that's easy to preach and it's easy to say amen to. But when you're the one that's being persecuted, you're the one experiencing injustice. It hurts. And it makes you angry. Many of you are living with unforgiveness right now. I was talking to a gal yesterday. She's bitter, hasn't gone to church in a year and a half. Not this church, because this is a perfect church. It's another church. And I told her, you know, it's just a season. And she said, I hate that. Everybody says it's just a season. I said, well, it is, and you determine how long that season is going to last. Because it's about what's going on in here, not out here. So you read through Romans chapter 12, and it, and it ends on that point. And it says, if, you, if, it, if your enemy curses you, don't curse back. If they persecute you, uh, bless them. Operate in the opposite spirit. It will free you and deliver you from bitterness and victimization. And the Bible says you'll heap hot coals on their head, and us in the Western Hemisphere go, yeah, I'm going to fry their head. Now, do you really think that's what God is saying, knowing who Jesus is? Is he really saying set their hair on fire? No, it's, it means to bless them because in the Middle East, in the first century, hot coals were what they used to do their cooking and all their domestic things. And their, um, so it actually means you're going to bless them. And the God says, vengeance is mine. So he frees us from living a bitter, angry life, and God handles our vengeance for us. And then he takes care of business. And, and he, he will. He will. Those who avenge themselves are not trusting God. And I'm preaching to myself too. We're all in this together. So this morning as uh, we close this message. One, I'm going to ask you to read through all of Romans chapter 12 and look at all the ways that you are to be as a daughter and a son of God. 
throughout every day of your life. Romans 12 is a great definition of who you are, who you to be. And, and God will empower you to do it. It's, all, it's a supernatural lifestyle. But some of you have not completely submitted to God. You're not a living sacrifice. You're kind of crawling off the altar. That's the, that's the problem, the living sacrifice. It would be great if God just fried us, and that would be easier. But we're alive. We have our own will. So you need to submit yourself to Christ and say, I am yours. Now, I'm not talking about just your salvation. I'm talking about your life. I am yours. You don't get 10%. You get 100%. I am yours. Some of you need to do that. You need to do it right now. Some of you came to Christ a long time ago, but you crawled off the altar a long time ago, and you're just living your life, and who knows why you're here, except God knows, and he drew you here today. And he wants to free you, but you've got to completely submit yourself to him. I know sometimes it's hard to trust him when you wonder where was he when that happened to me. You just got to give in. You just got to give in and trust him. So you close your eyes with me this morning. and Let's go to the Holy Spirit together because he is a transformation agent. We cannot transform ourselves. It takes the power of God. So we're going to do this just for a couple of moments. If you need to completely submit yourself to Jesus, like completely spirit, soul, and body, and you have not done that, do that right now. Just tell him. now if you if you have not been in the word of God to transform your mind rededicate yourself to that right now say before Instagram before Twitter before Facebook don't tell me you don't have time to pray and be in the Bible because Facebook proves you wrong right now just reprioritize the will of the word of God fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom Say, Lord, I'm going to start getting in your word again. And finally, some of you did not realize that your assignment on the earth is to be the salt and light of the world, representing Jesus to everyone. Now, some of you are afraid to do it. You don't want to go to work and be that guy, be that girl. You don't want to go to work and... it's it, it's There will be a lot of awkward moments because... People at work and school are going to be laughing about things you don't want to laugh about, talking about things you want to talk about, but you also don't want to be the weird one, the one that's out. Hey, guess what? Jesus was crucified outside the camp, hung publicly for you, for your salvation, and he's saying, will you stand with me? Be more concerned about heaven's applause than the earth's. Be someone that they can come to when they are hurting. Just rededicate yourself this morning to being the salt and light of the world. And watch what God will do. Well, Jesus, thank you for the power of the word and the power of the preached word. And Lord, we all submit ourselves to you today. We submit and we commit to you, 
your word, your kingdom. We thank you for the children back in children's church in the middle school that are learning the Bible. We're not just playing games with them. They're learning the Bible. They're being trained up to be warriors for this next generation. We love you, God. If you've never given your life to Christ, um, I'm going to be down front here. Love to meet you. Come down. I'll pray with you. And uh, Jesus is going to forgive you of all your sins, all of them, just like that. He's going to breathe his spirit into you, and you're going to be what's called born again. The spirit of Jesus coming into you, and he'll live with you forever, and he'll never leave you and never forsake you. If you need uh, maybe dedication to the Lord, you can come down front here, down to the pony wall, and you can just kneel down. You can just give yourself to him before you walk out those doors back into the mission field. Some of you might need the empowerment and baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the supernatural power of God upon you to do signs, miracles, and wonders. Um, some of you may be healing in your body from sickness or disease. You can come down front as well. But uh, so let's all stand. If you're visiting it again, you can uh, fill out a guest card and put it in the box out back to your left as you walk out there. And we've got a free book for you out front. So I'm going to have Jesse just begin to worship. And you can stay and worship. You can come down here and worship. You can come down for prayer. But uh, I just want to bless you. Thank you guys for letting me preach to you today. Uh, thank you for loving truth and loving the presence of God. Father, I bless this congregation of yours. Father, I thank you that your face is smiling upon them. And that you are giving them favor and peace. I thank you this week they are going to be faithful to you and courageous and loving. And they're going to represent Jesus to people this week. And many of them are going to come to Christ because of your people, your army. Father, I thank you your presence goes with us because that's what separates us from all the peoples of the earth. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Amen. All right, you can stay in worship.